Poppy will let you play tomorrow. Pick up a couple bucks. No, he won't. I was there less than a month ago. He will. I asked him. Well, thank you. It was a very nice year, but, um... I'm out. I'm done. I'm going back to the Merchant Marine. Well, that's it? This could be good for you tomorrow. Playing the gaslight for the 400th time for the fucking basket. Actually, you'd have to split the basket. <laughs> There's another act. But the Times is gonna be there. Oh, the Times. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, thanks for the thought. But uh, it's not going anywhere. And I'm tired. You're tired? Uh, I'm so fucking tired. I thought I just needed a night's sleep, but it's, it's more than that. But thank you for trying. I love you. Come on. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 164, Inside Lewin Davis. We're back. Yeah, everyone is a buzz about Disney+, Plus, so we'll see if we can bring you down with this content. Everyone's excited. The greatest October's in the books. Our hiatus oh, right. is in the books. We can start teasing next year's hiatus. We're revving it up. That's right. A big end to 2019. And just like last year, coming back from our break, we're starting with the Coen brothers. Oh, okay. This one, not quite on that level of universally accepted classic, but it's a movie that you and I both love. That's right, yeah. Sometimes I talk about this, you know, I've certainly mentioned him on the show, dear friend Keith, who always basically points out that I love depressing content. And this is certainly one of those movies that I told him after about it that I loved it so much. And his comment sort of back to me, I remember, was just like, man, you really do like sad movies. <laughs> this movie is awesome. And it made me revisit my top ten list. You know how we did the best of the decade over the summer? A two-part That's right. us a yeah. second. And I was like, where did I have Inside Lewin Davis? And I saw that I had it, I think, at number seven. And I'm like, you know what? It should be higher. <laughs> <laughs> this and another movie that we will be doing early in 2020 inherent wow. vice oh yeah are like my two go-to jams of this past decade yeah that's right we, a movie we saw with keith actually yeah i don't think that they would necessarily surpass like the ones i had at, at like one and two but they're yeah. like as far as rewatching, i agree with you on this i love both of these movies they're set about a decade apart i can't wait to do inherent vice on here because i just i read an article this is kind of a complicated story. I think Inherent story. Vice, I mean, I don't know. Maybe people people love it. It seems like at the time... It's, it's turning around. Okay. More and more if, people are loving it I, now. I felt like at the time it wasn't really getting the love that it It's deserved. definitely like the least loved critically of 
Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, but like I disagree with that. Fuck that. I read an article by uh, I think Kim Morgan, who she's like a writer. She writes stuff for like New New Beverly Cinema, but Ooh. she also writes like movies and stuff. Yeah, I think she she may have been involved in. I don't want to say. She was involved in some movie that just Something. came out. But, like, she writes great stuff. She wrote about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and stuff. And she wrote this article about Inherent Vice that I tweeted about. And it, Okay, I mean, so I was if you're not tears. following the show on Twitter, that's the type of content you're missing out on. This article brought me to tears. It was so good. Wow. About Inherent Vice. Yeah. It's just, it's such a wonderful movie. And I feel the same way I would about, say that's impressive, but how often are you brought to tears? I, seven, eight times a day. <laughs> Very point. regularly, yeah. <laughs> Inside Lewin Davis is the same for me. It's set about a decade earlier, and it's one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies, and I think a hot take would be that yeah. it's a top five for me because I don't think most serious Coen Brothers fans would put it in the top ten. Yeah. And I'm serious, and top I, ten. I actually feel like it's kind of random bright spot in what's been going on with the Coen Brothers, at least for me personally, well, over the past maybe decade now. I mean, I certainly love No Country for Old Men, but this one, anything post No Country for Old Men, this is my favorite Coen Brothers movie by far in that span. I think A Serious Man has its Ooh, following. Yeah, you know, I, I did like A Serious Man. <laughs> I will say that. That's a good point. But I know what you mean, though. It, it seems like a lot of their stuff has been somewhat disappointing. I yeah. know some people really like Tail Caesar. I, I never really got that into it. And then Buster Scruggs was yeah, such not a for me. horrific letdown. Right. But, you know, whatever. Inside Lewin Davis is great. Stars Oscar Isaac, Carrie Mulligan, John Goodman. I don't even think Garrett I re- Headland, Justin Timberlake, Adam Driver. Yeah, amongst others. Wow, great cast, really. I don't think I really knew Oscar Isaac well at the time that we. Well, you certainly saw this before me. At the time that I first saw this, I don't think I was really familiar with him. Yeah, I mean, I've recognized him from being in Drive. Yeah, which was a couple years earlier. But yeah, I, I hear mean, you've this been was his helping out breakout. <laughs> yeah, a movie he was, was in with like, Carrie Mulligan. Yes, yes. <laughs> The movie itself, I think, was a modest hit. It, it, you know, I think it was like a eleven or twelve million dollar budget. And I think it made like thirty three million or something. Yeah, well, and it know, was all but ignored, really. Yeah. for awards, I think it got nominated for two Oscars. It didn't win anything. Okay, it's kind of a shame. I think they thought that it had a chance at the best picture. Well, this is one of those movies too that, that was uh, a Criterion collection almost immediately. It seemed like. Yeah, pretty quick turnaround, which I'm always a fan of. Yeah, it's probably more critically acclaimed now than when it came out. It had a super high Rotten Tomatoes score, but it's made a lot of those best movies of the decade, best movies of the 2000s even lists over the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. It's definitely grown in stature amongst a certain crowd, maybe even more, probably, I would say definitely more so than Inherent Vice even. Well, and let's just say, I think Lewin Davis, the character potentially the spirit animal for this show i mean (laughs) i was seeing a lot of parts that i was like man there's shades of zach here (laughs) but also like myself too because i think the whole situation with the cat i think you would have given up on like two seconds be like well allergic to cats the cat's gone there's nothing we can do (laughs) but i i think i I could see myself going on this downward spiral (laughs) trying to get this goddamn cat back yeah, and we'll get into the cat more because it's like one of the weirder elements of the story. The Coen brothers claim that they had this script and they realized that there wasn't much of a plot and they were getting nervous about it, so they added the cat. I don't really buy that. I think the cat is pretty symbolic throughout it. Sure. But, okay, so if anyone's forgotten out there, 
in our time away, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod and make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, which is our main thing. I think you can still find it via iTunes and Podbean and all that stuff, but you know, we're not really on all of the not on all the things, but we're not like uh, I just saw like last podcast on the left signed an exclusive deal to be on Spotify oh, wow. only now. We're not getting offers like that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, somebody was We're taking to this me, to Patreon only. <laughs> somebody was talking to me about the show and how they can listen to it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's on iTunes and like that Apple podcast thing that's on iPhones or whatever. And it's just like, I don't have an iPhone. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. There's a Podbean app. Yeah, I'm sure other types of phones can get I was like, apps I, with this. Sure. I don't I really think. know how that works. Right, yeah. <laughs> we haven't explored it. We yeah. were really hoping that like the only people that listen to the show had iPhones. So, <laughs> Yeah, or just go to our website and figure it out. Yeah. So if you want to listen to the show, get an iPhone, basically. <laughs> well, if you want to listen to the show, how are you listening right now? <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> Do whatever you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. We can jump right into the movie. Where to start with this movie? There's a lot to talk about. The first thing I like is the cold blue filter and look to it. Yeah. The cinematography, which was one of the Oscar nominations it got. The movie definitely has a winter feel to yes. it. Yes. <laughs> In more than just the weather of the movie. It, certainly... it does a great job of not only invoking a time and a place, which is New York, Greenwich Village, 1961, but also... A lo- just a like bleak, a feel. dark, cold. Yeah, you f- you can feel that chill creeping into right. your bones. Yes, your our main character doesn't warm. have a winter coat <laughs> and doesn't really have a house. I guess. Oh no, yeah. Just crowd surfing around. The music, of course, is a huge element. Oh yeah. The movie is basically a musical because the characters all are singing. They're all singing live too, which is great. Oh I yeah. I think there's only one song in it that wasn't done live. I'm not even sure which one that is. But Oscar Isaac, Carrie Mulligan, Justin Timberlake, Justin Timberlake Adam every, Driver. Yeah, everyone's actually Outer performing live. Space. <laughs> Which, rewatching that, I was remembering like how, how much a uh, friend of the show, friend in real life, Brian Bell, enjoyed that part. I can remember him like mimicking that. <laughs> how weird is it that there's a moment where Kylo Ren and Poe Dameron are singing about not being sent into oh, space? I know. Right. <laughs> that is a strange. A year before yeah, The yeah. Force Awakens. But the music was overseen by T-Bone Burnett, who's done a lot of movies. And usually that that, that means there's a, a seal of quality to oh, the yeah. soundtrack and the movies. And Lewin's deceased former partner, Mike, is right. voiced by... Marcus Mumford, who is married to Carrie Mulligan from Mumford and Sons. Which okay, I, I didn't know that. Kind of hilarious. It's like if she would have married someone who had actually done the Please Mr. Kennedy song. Yeah. Like a novelty song True. act she married. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. No, weird. I mean, he does have a good voice, but it's like Mumford and Sons. It's like, I mean. Well, <laughs> I, I do feel like at the time of this movie coming out, Mumford and Sons was like a huge band. Not anymore, though. No, that's true. It's not, but then again, she's not like that big of a star. That's true. You know what? They both <laughs> Zoe Deschanel is yeah. dating a guy from Property Brothers at this point. I mean, yeah, come on. so what does the world come to? This movie, of course, features a loser as the main character, which is something that the Coens do all the time. The Coens are absolutely at their best that's when they're why working we love at them. the fringes. Yeah. Fargo, Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona. Barton Fink. Yeah, I mean, pretty much anything. They always like to go with these fringe-type characters 
But the one thing that really separates Lewin from, let's say, Brad Pitt's character from Burn After Reading or something is that Lewin is so self-aware that yeah. it's a different type. And he actually has talent. And it's just this this case of it's talent sad, not being yeah. enough. It really is just such a sad story. And you know that there are like so many examples of this out in the world. Certainly you and I can't relate, but... <laughs> Because we are so successful. If anything, successful. we've made it too far yeah. without much talent. <laughs> if anything, we should have been banned That's right. from the internet for posting this garbage. Well, it could happen. But yeah, I mean, Lewin is just one of the many that never make it, but are trying so hard, and this is like this desperate struggle. It's yeah. based off of a lot of anecdotes taken from the life of Dave Van Ronk, who okay. wrote a book called The Mayor of McDougal Street. He had an album called Inside Dave Van Ronk. Yeah. The cover is exactly the same. Gotcha, right. The interesting thing is, though, there's a cat that's peeking out of the door on the cover, and people just, just like were thinking, like, oh, that's where the cat in the movie came from, and the Coen brothers didn't even realize that there was oh, a cat. Oh, wow. And they're like, yeah. oh, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> because there's not a cat on the fake album cover of Inside Lewin Davis in the movie. Gotcha. The main thing, though, I think there was some pushback when the movie came out because Dave Van Ronk died in like 2002, so he wasn't alive at the time this movie came out. It's not really based on his life. It's just it's a jumping off point to tell the story about this time and this place. However, the way that the Coen brothers did it, they did it with like their cynical eye, a little bit of humor. It's uh, just a bizarre snapshot of a time period that could be like a moment in any given life. Right. Like now I think you think of these like time periods, you hear some people's like success stories that it's like, yeah, I basically reached this point where I was just like, I'm not going to make it. I need to just turn to like whatever plan B was. And it's almost like this is that moment, but there is no right. Well, turning point. That's the pushback on this movie from people that were alive during the time or people that knew Dave Van Ronk like. The Cohen's cynical take on it is probably not how it really was, according to these people. They felt like it was a much warmer, not temperature-wise, but, you know, the people were warmer and nicer, and it was right. a more of a yeah. tight-knit community, and they supported each other and loved each other. And Dave Van Ronk didn't become Lewin Davis. Like, yeah, he never made it like Bob Dylan, but he sure. recorded and toured and did music basically Had, for the rest of his life. wasn't just, like, living on a couch... No, he mentored people yeah. like Bob Dylan and when they came up, but he was still mentoring like Susanna Vega in the 80s. You know, like more and more people. Like, right, right. He kept a career going. So, yeah, even I, if I he mean, never this really... is not a biographical. Right. And yeah, I, I would assume this is like a darker, more callous version. And that's okay. I mean, I, I you know, I hate when people get like lost on like the. Yeah. I mean, the right. accuracy of a thing. And it's just like, well, especially this, because they're not even calling the character Dave Van Rock. It's just kind of yeah. There's certainly based a, on it a little bit. A dark cloud around the Lewin Davis character. That I, I don't think the Lewin Davis character would ever have a book published about him at any time in his life. No, probably not. Due to just mass lack of interest. <laughs> Almost a shocking amount of lack of interest. So the movie takes place during the American folk revival in the early 60s in New York City's Greenwich Village. The movie specifically takes place in February 1961, Days of the Gaslight Cafe. Love it. Love the uh, interior scenes in the Gaslight Cafe. Sure. And it, it's, I mean, it's like a little bit of a precursor to the hippies 
and the peace and love. It's mm-hmm. like this the beginning of that. It's like part. It's a little bit of counterculture, kind of the transitioning from the beat poets, which we meet a beat poet later in the movie. But yeah, transitioning from that fifties kind of Kerouac feeling into what would become Woodstock era and stuff like right. that. So it's kind of the in between. I love it. I mean, obviously they're in New York City, different than certainly where we live. But I, I just love this idea of like these places where people just go do these open mic nights like all the time. Or really, actually, like they're playing, they're actually getting paid for some of these nights. For- sure, it it speaks to an appetite that is definitely not there anymore. Yeah, right, and you can say that about a lot of things, whether it's the the format of the novel or live music or even movies outside of big budget blockbusters like superhero movies and stuff like the appetite is just no longer there because people have so many options all the time yeah there's an infinite amount of things you can choose from whereas in 1961 this was like your big entertainment like what else are you gonna do right right. yeah i mean there's certainly pockets of it in america that still exists but it's definitely like smaller it's just not something that you can expect like that you would live anywhere and there's just places where there's live music going on all the time and it's funny too because lewin has such a you know he bristles so much at the people that are his actual audience like the gore finds and even that doctor right who talks about how he used to see him at hoots or whatever yeah, yeah. like those older people that are more middle-aged liberal type people who are supporting the arts and and being a part of it those are the people that would stay loyal to him and be his audience whereas the younger people are starting to lose interest and are about to turn on him completely which you know him and all the other folk artists of this movie don't really see that coming it's like right around the corner and about to hit them in the face (laughs) yeah which is something that we love talking about and all you know it's something that is done all the time in movies and it's it makes kind of the best stories which is like the end of something like that moment on the cusp of change yes where sometimes your main character isn't a part of the change is kind of (laughs) being left behind right (laughs) yeah i i would love it if our only I won't say fans, but listeners were older people, and they'd that would let us just stay at their house <laughs> and had us for dinner. Yeah, and they're like making us like play snippets from the <laughs> podcast when they have people over for dinner. They're like, "Well, we'll, we'll bring out our uh, microphones, what- <laughs> but you have to podcast for yeah. us." <laughs> like making us like redo like bits from different episodes of the show. This is what we do for our job. This is embarrassing that you would parade us around like this. Yeah, meanwhile, that's what you're saying. Meanwhile, I'm putting like headphones on. Like, so bug juice. <laughs> I was uh, when we when Lindsay and I were coming back from the wedding. I, I was kind of uh, ill the the morning of uh, leaving, and I was just really feeling very rough and and not in the mood to talk or anything. But at some point, the conversation in the car on the trip back turned to to Roadhouse, uh-huh. and I just perked right up. As and, it often yeah, does, right, yeah, it really revived me. A big part of Inside Lewin Davis is the cat, the dual cats, the two cats. I think it's interesting that when the menu clicks on on the Criterion edition of the Blu-ray, the first thing is the woman on yeah. the phone saying Lewin is the cat. Okay. Because I I paid attention there's to that. more dialogue that was cut out of the movie about Lewin being the cat and this kind of confusion of the two and is Lewin the cat. Now, this is a Coen Brothers movie, not some weird experimental thing. Not that the Coen Brothers have never been experimental, but... I don't think that th- that you're supposed to think that literally, obviously. That would be yeah. stupid. But the cat is like a proxy for Lewin, and you can kind of follow the journey of the two. And then, of course, you find out that the cat's name eventually is 
Ulysses. This is another Coen Brothers take on the Odyssey. Okay, right. <laughs> that whole thing, like Homer's thing and Ulysses and all that stuff, and the journey that the character is taking and, and bouncing around and all that stuff. And I think that because of the way the movie's structured with that scene at the beginning and then circling back to the end, the movie's kind of about everything in its place. Him, Lewin, being unable to break out of it even when he's trying to give up. <laughs> he's trying to quit and give up and he it's can't so even sad. do it. Yeah. it. Like, it won't work out. And he's ending up being forced back into it. And then, of course, the cat ends up back at the gore finds at the end and everything's right. back in its place. Yeah. And... When he goes out of his comfort zone and he puts himself out there in Chicago, he ends up hitting that cat on the way back, where, or at least we think it might be the same cat, or yeah. he thinks it is. And so it's a kind of like he himself has been wounded, and he understands that this was not something that was good for him because okay. he ends up hurt, and then he ends up going back. I can follow this. So it's like a little bit of like a parallel yeah. the whole time. It is certainly relatable. I, I wouldn't say my life has turned out to be a glowing success. But there's been times where it's been a lot darker than it is right now. I think everyone can relate to some degree just that period of time where you just feel like nothing's going to go right and you're not going to catch a break. Sure. And I definitely relate very hard to the idea uh, that Lewin has of people outside of his passion, and his passion happens to be music, quote, just existing. Yeah. I get that completely, and he doesn't want to give up no matter what, no matter... If he never makes it at all, that's to him is better than just yeah. existing. Although there is this thing too, where it's just like, it don't you start to loathe the thing that you loved a- after a time of just like sure. And how he much says that at the end talk. when he's yelling at that woman, he's like, I fucking hate folk music. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it really is. Are you even having fun doing this anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of pain that comes with it too. But I think that the passion is still there even at the end. Yeah. And my favorite part might just be when he's telling Jean that he's quitting and that he's out and then her reaction to that. Yeah. Which is to be sad and like when we'll get into which that more when we get part, to that scene. Which is the first time that she shows an emotion to him that's anything but hate. Yeah, she's so <laughs> over the top <laughs> angry earlier. And I mean, I think you can unpack a lot about What's the history been going on. and Yeah what happened and you know how was mike involved with this and yeah it definitely feels like mike was like this glue character that held a lot of things together yeah and, and even more than that he, it's just like the way that they're processing this trauma that's happened to them and she's turned bitter and expresses it in anger yeah and maybe promiscuous behavior we don't know how she was beforehand it seems <laughs> it like she's seems getting like, around yeah <laughs> I love Benny, I think, from The Sopranos. Yes, Poppy is his name in this. Yeah. I was like, how old is this guy? And I was like looking him up. He's like, he was like 46 when this movie came out, I think. He's like old as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his just nonchalant commentary about Gene is kind of fun when you get to that part of the movie. Yeah, and that's like a recurring thing. And you're like, you're not even sure if he's like telling the truth at the end, but you kind of think he is. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck is Jean up to? It's like, how miserable is Jean? Like, <laughs> it seems like she's just so unhappy with her life. Yeah. And so the opening of the film with Lewin singing, this is that first scene, which we'll come back to at the end of the film. The first thing I take away from that is that it reveals Lewin's obvious talent. So this sure. is not yeah. about somebody that is like a joke. No. 
or is untalented and yeah, like, we're good. laughing at he them. Good. Yeah. This isn't the disaster artist right. or something like that. <laughs> All of the actors in the film sing live. We've talked about it a lot already. You, you're just thrust into this wintry, gray, cold cigarette type looking place. Yeah, all too familiar. It feels like me. it has a like an actual tangible feel to it, like a texture almost. Like you can just kind of tell what this world feels like and smells like. And yeah, I would agree with that. Even like it's so well shot. I w- all, everything feels claustrophobic through this whole movie. To like the spaces they're playing. The apartments. The hallways. The car rides. Yeah. I feel like that adds into it as well. We meet Poppy, played by Max Casella, who we talked about. After Lewin is done performing, He, t- uh, Poppy tells him that his friend is out in the alley. Lewin yeah. doesn't know what he's talking about. Goes right. outside. There's a shadowy figure in the alley with a southern accent who beats Lewin up. I actually saw on Wikipedia a discernible southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. I think the implication is that it's an outsider. Gotcha. And they're All not right. they're not from New York and then, you know, he's talking about like leaving at the end of that. That's true. So Lewin is just kind of floating around New York City. He has a solo album that's been released to a completely disinterested yeah, it's world. Really just no one caring. Couch surfing, broke. Doesn't seem weird. like he really has As the movie goes on, you know, much not too far. They're starting to let us know that when he was in this two-piece band with Mike, and for listeners of the show, Zach and I were once in a quite popular two-piece outfit that yeah. <laughs> fell apart when one of us jumped Just, off a bridge. But uh, <laughs> I think we forgot the jumping off yeah. the bridge part. <laughs> but it is weird, though. It's like, how did him and Mike have some degree of success? They definitely act like that was the case. But mm. Well, he says to his agent, he's like, well, not that many people knew us as a duo, so okay, it isn't yeah, a great right. re-education. I think it was that he was just happier and that times were better. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if there was like Maybe a ton of success. A little bit of momentum starting to go. It seems the, strange that they would have an agent at all, I guess. Well, yeah, it was just a different time because the folk scene was so booming that it seemed like a lot of people could cut albums. And I think that's kind of the joke you see later when he goes to push his extra albums under that table at al cody's and there's yeah. an al- there's a box of extra albums of his under there it's just like everyone's <laughs> right. got these albums yeah. it was kind of like growing on the trees back then like musical opportunities sure. and they weren't all gonna like pan out into anything but it does seem like from our perspective it seems cool that you it doesn't seem that hard to have a manager and an album oh yeah even if it didn't go anywhere or Oof, do anything what a foreign notion <laughs> i did want to say when we were talking about mike and everything there is like a theory out there and i don't necessarily subscribe to it that the Gorefines are mike's parents but wow he doesn't have the same last name yeah and there's no evidence of that really right. it's just like why are they so interested in lewin and- i think it works better that the Gorefines are just like yeah nerdy adults who like are trying to yeah be they're cool. like professors yeah. at a university it's i, I buy those characters 100 percent. sure it's not the same thing but we talked about people in like candy man like the the professors right. just like hanging yes. around talking it's just like these people who kind of exist in academia be, yeah are a little too old but still want to be part of the culture sure like, you know as we become very uh, <laughs> self-reflective after that comment yeah i mean i basically am going to be poppy I yeah think. yeah right i think so. <laughs> except without well, listen, a club hey if you gotta get a shot at gene i mean <laughs> it might be yeah. worth it Lewin, after getting beat up, wakes up the next morning at what we will find out later is the Gorefine's apartment. Or we think it's the next morning, I guess. He wakes up in the next scene. 
Yeah, and crashing at the Gorfin's not too bad. No. He's got a bed there. Well, it was like a couch. Yeah, that's true. We'll meet them later. He's just kind of making himself at home. He looks through the records. This is where we see him in that duo with a guy named Mike Timlin. They have that record there. He's playing records. He's making himself breakfast, walking around, looking at things. When he goes to leave, though, the Gorfine's cat escapes, and then he locks himself out like all in one motion. Yeah. So now he's kind of stuck with this cat. And this is just like, I I mean, for me, right, this is just like right up. I mean, just slice out any moment of my life. Because, <laughs> of course, it. like the elevator operator doesn't want to deal with the cat, and he doesn't know what to do with it. It's interesting, though, because... I have to run the elevator. He makes himself busy by doing stuff, but Lewin really doesn't have anything to do at any point. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, okay, well, next I'm going to go to my sister's house, right, and then I'm going to go to Gene's like house. And... It would be hard to pass the days. I guess it's good. in New York, New York City is like so big... And you can get around for like pretty cheap. You can really like make a day. <laughs> you can like yeah, kill a good a chunk day, of his day you know? is just traveling around, right. waiting for an opportunity to play a show. I guess yeah. But it's interesting though because they reference later in the film that like a certain amount of time is supposed to go by before you're able to play the Gaslight again. So like, what is he doing fresh. in between? Yeah, it I mean, does like, feel like there would be other venue options. Yeah, I think there are. They just didn't get into it right. in the movie. Okay, yeah. It just you know, this is where he tries to call. Mr. Gorfine and the lady is like trying to take that message and she says Lewin is the cat and so the journey with the cat has begun they get on the subway he's going around he takes it to Jim and Jean's apartment who we haven't met yet they're not there so he leaves the cat there then he goes to see his agent Mel which is funny Mel not a really inspiring agent no, the conversation. The whole thing about the coat is enjoyable, though. Yeah, the whole. Well, that, yeah, the first is the conversation about like where's Cincinnati. I guess he's like looking at some records, and then like him and his secretary, who's like a a million years old, they're like yelling back and forth. <laughs> and he's just That's like, like these are the people that are like dictating the music industry. <laughs> How we doing? We're doing great. Really? New records doing well. Uh, how we doing? Not so hot, I gotta be honest. Ginny, where's Cincinnati? What? Cincinnati, it's not in here. It should be in there. It's not in here, I'm telling you. Is it? Cincinnati? Yeah. I got it. What? I got it. You got Cincinnati? Yeah, you want it? Could I have it? Should I bring it in? Yeah. Do you owe me something? You have to owe me something. I wish. People need time, you know, get to know you, buy you as a solo act, even know you're a solo act. Cincinnati is not good. That's it, right? Yeah, this is it, God help Nobody me. knew us when we were a duo. It's not like me and Mike were ever a big act. It's not a big re-education for the public. Mel? Mel! How you doing, kid? He's trying to get his attention because I guess he took no advance for his solo record. Not that any was offered to him, I would imagine. And now he's trying to get some money out of him. I think Mel just ends up giving him 40 bucks. Yeah, out of like his pocket. He's just like, I don't even have money for a winter coat. And Mel's just like, you can have my coat. <laughs> just a sad exchange. So then he goes back to Jim and Jean's where he left the cat. Now Jean's home. But he's in the process of trying to secure a place to sleep for the night. He's confronted with the fact that Troy, oh no, this guy from a nearby army base, has been promised the couch. 
Yeah, because he's got a gig at the Gaslight. Yes. It's one just giant folk community. So this is the first time meeting Jean, who is kind of the de facto female lead of the film. Yeah. She's not in it all that much, but nobody really is other than Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. Apart from just a clear lack of talent, I really don't think the music life was really for me ever. I mean, I've talked to some people that played in bands and like went around playing shows and stuff and it's just like a lot of like crashing on friends couches and stuff if you were in a band that actually like went around your first show would be the movie green room yeah absolutely (laughs) and you would be one of the people killed immediately (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think so i don't think couch surfing would have ever really been for me no nor me yeah it sounds horrible yeah in this exchange, while they're arguing back and forth, there's a lot of like tension between Jean and Lewin. She slips him a note so that Troy won't overhear them that says, I'm pregnant. And he's just like, what <laughs> I the do, fuck? You know what? This is like such a nice touch. I, I love the choice that this is just in the middle of like this discussion with Troy around. She just puts yeah. this on a piece of paper and shows it basically to like us, the audience. Right. It's, a, it's such a well-constructed scene because... It gives you so much so fast all at once, and all of a sudden you understand everything. Right. <laughs> because they've already referenced Jim. Yes. Who I guess they're married because they have the same last name. Right. So we know that she's with somebody else who is apparently a part of this scene. We know about the cow surfing. We know about Troy. We know that she's pissed about this cat. Yeah. But then this note gets thrust in, and all of a sudden we get a whole story here. Yeah, all well, in one I think- little note. Your first reaction, the way that she's talking to Lewin, you're basically like, why would she ever let this dude stay at her house? She clearly doesn't like him. And yeah. then like when you see the note, you're like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm piecing some things together. Yeah, there's a lot of weird choices in language that she uses throughout the movie. That's true. It's almost Most like she it has harsh. no choice in what happened. <laughs> I, well, he brings that up at some yeah. point. Yeah. He's like, have you heard, ever heard of the phrase, it takes two to tango? I know. Well, I think she's got some demons. Obviously, like, Jim is perfect. <laughs> well, uh, even her, like, phrasing of, like, you sleep with other people's women. Yes. As if, like, it's the women are property, which, I mean, I get it. This movie, it takes place, like, you know, 60 years ago, basically. So it's, like, a whole other mindset. But, like, still, for her to say that is very strange. Well, I think Jim is perfect. I think it's hard for anyone to be with someone who's perfect and not just, like, despise them quietly i see i didn't even get the idea that it was perfect i just thought it was just like it's justin timberlake you don't put him in a movie unless he's playing like a perfect person (laughs) yeah i don't know i kind of feel like he's supposed to be like a kind of a doofus (laughs) well he is yeah that's true (laughs) he's because i mean he's being cuckolded all over town evidently all right because i kind of get the impression that gene was fucking mike too yeah and we know what gets brought up later with poppy i mean i think it's like a whole thing with her well gene enjoys being the queen of the folk scene, you know? Gene and Jim are based off of real people. We'll get to that in a minute. What do you think the real Gene was like? Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> You've got <laughs> Let's some say, notes. I mean, there's a famous song okay. about her. Gotcha. So we cut to a scene of watching Troy now, this guy from the army. He's playing at the Gaslight. Yeah, and this was like a scene that was really reminding me of you. Just the Which way that part? the the way that uh, Lewin is just so like dismissive and critical of Troy's performance (laughs) because Troy sort of reveals that like there's this 
music industry dude who's like interested in him and wants yeah, to like Bud back Grossman, him. Right. which is kind of a big part. Yeah. So and, like I, you know that that's like eating at him, and he's kind of like just leaning. Is it Jim that he's talking to? And it's just like this. Yeah. What do you stinks, think about this basically. guy? Yeah. And and Jim's just like he's great. He's such a great voice. And he's like really <laughs> not for me. And it, yeah, it's yeah. just more like he doesn't get it. And I, I don't even know if I get it. So maybe I do relate. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. I don't I don't really quite know what the difference is between like, Lewin and the people that are having more success. I feel like it's like when we go see a movie that's like getting rave reviews and we walk out and you're just like that was an F minus for me. <laughs> I stand by yeah. my opinion <laughs> of the movie Us. <laughs> The funny uh, part here, is, obviously, is yes. him asking Jim for uh, the money to do an is, illegal abortion because it was illegal in 1961. This is like one of those parts that's funny, but also just like so horrible. I so, mean, yeah, imagine just your Jim, <laughs> and he's about to cough up the money too. But it's he's like, like, I gotta ask Jean. Well, I gotta tell Jean. She's gonna know the money's gone. She's like, all right, don't say anything. Forget it. <laughs> oh God, just so low. Yeah, that is dark. That is dark. And then Troy from the stage is like, I want to bring somebody up. And Lewin's like, I don't have my guitar. <laughs> and he, of course, is talking about Jim and G. <laughs> that part made me laugh every time I've rewatched this. I was like <laughs> dying laughing. I don't have my guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Poppy comes over and he's like, I'd like to fuck Gene. This is like the first time we get any indication. It's like a little bit of foreshadowing maybe. Because it almost feels like he hasn't fucked her at this point. Yeah. Right? I guess so. I mean, how much time passes in this movie? A week. Okay basically right a lot happens in this week it's basically the week leading up to the incident that we saw at the beginning of the yeah, movie. yeah spoiler i mean hopefully people listening to this are somewhat familiar or they don't care about what actually happens in the movie but yeah i don't think we talked about the opening scene and then we all circle back to that is this one of those movies where you can really give anything away i mean there's no not really right it's one of those things where you have to like watch it and experience it to really get the full power of it i do think that there's a certain subset of people that would probably like start watching this movie and be like what i mean what is this about well you could say that about most Coen sure, Brothers sure. movies yeah. though someone pissed on this guy's carpet and he's trying to get it replaced <laughs> the next morning at jim and jeans lewin wakes up with troy eating that bowl of cereal before he heads out this is where he finds out about bud grossman so he didn't even know okay heading into that yeah yeah this, and that's right. almost just like salt in the wound then Right, so then Lewin is uh, like extra dismissive of him. Bud Grossman is based off of a, a real guy named Albert Grossman who managed the Gate of Horn in Chicago, which is the real place, the same name in yeah, the movie. Yeah. He managed Bob Dylan, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Janis Joplin, amongst others. So he's like a big-time music guy. That's who this is based off of. Jim and Gene Berkey are based on a real duo, Jim Glover and Gene Ray, who performed and recorded in Greenwich Village in the 60s. Gene Ray, notable for being the inspiration for Neil Young's Cinnamon Girl. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> She's Look making an impact yeah, in the scene. To that song. I do like when Lewin asks about whether or not Troy met Elvis yeah. in the army. Uh, Private Presley. And he calls him Private Presley, Troy. I, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not meet Private Presley. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God. I mean, Troy does seem like a nice guy, but like I, I oh, do boy, see it stink, from Lewin. Like, yeah, oh, you're just yeah. like, oh, this guy. Exactly. I, anybody that beams optimism, I just find so hateable. Yeah. I think you could interpret the movie, and I think people get hung up, like the people that knew Dave Van Ronk. They're like, well, he wasn't like this guy, blah, blah, blah. So 
probably that's why the Coen brothers didn't make it about Dave Van Rock. But like, yeah, it's Loon Davis. You could say that the reason why the scene isn't as warm and cheery and great is because we're seeing it through the eyes of Lewin and not through someone like Troy right. or Jim. Yeah. These people that seem optimistic and happy. Because then you might have a different movie. It might look different and feel different. Sure. But Lewin's life seems like not complete sunny. shit. It no. feels like that bowl of shit that Roland Turner talks about on that drive. <laughs> like, yeah. how did this happen to me? I don't right. know what happened. <laughs> So the cat escapes through the window and basically just vanishes into the wind at this point. He can't find it. He comes back to the apartment. This is when Gene and Lewin have the abortion talk, and it's oh, yeah. just this never-ending wave of hostility. <laughs> Gene, oh, she yeah. She says, like, some fucked up shit. Well, where... this is the line from Give Us a Second, right? Sure, In yeah. Scene? Everything yeah. you touch turns to shit. She's just, like, screaming like at King him Like King Midas' idiot brother. You don't know if it's mine. No, how would I know? So it could be Jim's. Yes, asshole! But you don't want it either way, to be clear. To be clear, asshole, you fucking asshole. I want very much to have it if it's Jim's. That's what I want. But since I don't know, you not only fuck things up by fucking me and maybe making me pregnant, but even if it's not yours, I can't know that. So I have to get rid of what might be a perfectly fine baby, a baby I want, because everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Well, okay. I see. You know a doctor, right? Yes. From when? Whatever, Diane? Yes. And you'll pay for it? Yes. <sighs> Don't tell Jim, obviously. I should have had you wear double condoms. Well, we shouldn't have done it in the first place, but if you ever do it again, which is a favor to women everywhere, you should not. But if you do, you should be wearing condom on condom and then wrap it in electrical tape. You should just walk around always inside a great big condom because you are shit. Okay. You should not be in contact with any living thing being shit. Have you ever heard the expression, it takes two to tango? Fuck you. Well, I could say we should talk about this when you're less angry, but that would be, that'd be, when would that be? Fuck you. I miss Mike. Can I ask you for a favor? You're joking. It's not for me, it's for the Gorefines. Their cat got out. Could you leave the fire escape window open? It's winter. Just enough for the cat to squeeze back in, it could come back. To our apartment? It was there like six hours. Why would it come back there? I don't know. I'm not a fucking cat. Think about it. I lost their fucking cat. I feel bad about it. That's what you feel bad about? She has so much rage, and of course, his reaction is to be like, well, it takes two to tango. It's like, you had sex with me. Yeah. I don't know what, you how this is all my fault. Yeah. And she wants to get this abortion, and she talks about like how she wants to have Jim's baby, but she doesn't know whose it is. And she's like, it could be a perfectly good baby oh, that man. I'd be getting rid of. Yeah. It's like really it is. some rough lines of dialogue you're just like jesus yeah i mean there is a certain point where you would feel like he's just gonna lose it now that happens but sort of to someone maybe not so deserving when he finally does lose it 
Yeah. The reason why he does lose it, though, is also brought up in this scene because Jean says she does kind of turn to this moment of vulnerability where she says that she misses Mike. Yeah. And it, Mike is just this overhanging thing. And we don't know at this point in the movie what's happened. True. We don't even know for sure that he's dead. Right. It, she yeah, says point, this. Yeah. It's like, well, he could have just maybe left or something. Right. But Went to Los Angeles. <laughs> Nashville. You know. Something. You can lose folk singers to various regions. <laughs> Country and Western. That's right. <laughs> so then he goes to see his sister, Joy. <laughs> Who is not full of... <laughs> Her name. She seems to have a fair amount of hostility, too, although hers <laughs> sure, yeah. is more based in reality of just, like, Lewin being this constant fuck-up, asking for yeah, money all like, the time. Yeah, she's like, are you, like, ready to give this charade up? Sure, she's like bringing up Merchant singer? Marines, and this yeah. is when they talk about just existing, and he mean, he's like, you know, like, dad, and she's like, how could you say that about your father, that he exists? Yeah. Like that? <laughs> like, he exists? Right. <laughs> So she brings out this box of memories that he doesn't want to keep. He says to throw it away. This, of course, will come back to haunt him later. Yeah, yeah. You've made some mistakes like that in your life. Probably. I think so. I'm not sure what you're referring to, but I'm <laughs> going to say probably. Yeah, I'm going to say definitely for me. Throw it away. Anything that ever gets thrown away. There's at some point in my life where I'm just like, I wish I still had that. Oh, yeah, sure. You know? So then he finally gets a hold of... Mr. Gorefine, but at this point he doesn't have a cat anymore, but this is when he's alerted to the fact that Jim's looking for him. There's a recording session going on at Columbia, and of course everything that Lewin does touch turns to shit. Absolutely. It's like, well, maybe Gene yeah. has a point, because even this opportunity... You know, I think Gene, you know, she might have been onto something there. Which could be like a windfall of something gets turned into just another mistake. So, they record this space travel-themed novelty song please Mr. Kennedy that Jim wrote and this is what I mean like when I say Jim is just like a dope it's like yeah this song stinks although kind of catchy what am I you know I'm not a big fan of Mindy Kaling but like I did love during that one Super Bowl probably right after the year this movie came out Bob Dylan was like in that commercial during the Super Bowl okay. and I know like Mindy Kaling tweeted something out like I wonder what Lewin Davis would think of this commercial <laughs> or something like that wow. and it's just like Lewin has this distaste for things that he doesn't find worthy worthy yeah. like at the level like uh, legitimate and it's funny too because in reality it's like well Bob Dylan was like writing his own songs he wasn't performing like old traditional songs but in this context Jim has written this dumb song about space travel that's so stupid yeah, yeah but you could see it becoming a hit because it's like the type of things that like idiots would love right and he's goofing on it and he's like who wrote this and jim's like i did <laughs> what do you mean it is weird it's weird how he just like comes in and starts playing along and basically like singing i don't know it feels like he picks it up like pretty quick um, well i think there's like a little cut in time yeah they were rehearsing the whole 45 it, minutes of them learning the like, song. We're back to a star is born where they're like working out the song. In, like a <laughs> They go to a parking right. lot at a grocery store. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden the song's done. Yes. I don't want to don't send me off into outer space. I sweat when they put me yeah, in the Yeah, but we want to go to the Papa, please, into the, into the verse. Really? Yeah. Don't jump up in the outer. When I can, it gets all muddled up into the verse. No, no, no. No, you just do the pa-pa-pas into the verse. If you do two pa-pas. Pa-pa. Yep. I sweat when. Yep. Yep. Pa-pa. I sweat when they stuck me in the pressure suits. Bubble helmet, flash, gold boots. Oh, oh, oh. 
gravity. Sure. No place to be a hero. Okay. Okay. Hey, look, I'm happy for the gig, but who, who wrote this? I did. Okay. So, okay. Good. Shout. Please, Mr. Kennedy, take one, and we're rolling. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Up on. I don't want to go. Don't you show me in the outer space. Oh, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Up on. I don't want to go. Don't you show me in the outer space. I sweat when they stuff me in the pressure suits. Bubble helmet, dashboard, and boots. Nowhere of there in gravity suits. I need to breathe. Outer. Don't need to be a space. Reading me loud and clear, roll, oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh -oh. I don't wanna go. Please don't show me out of space. Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh -oh. I don't wanna go. Please don't show me out of space. I'm six foot two, so perhaps you'll tell me how I fit into a five capsule. I won't be known as mid century if I look If you make her a widow, who will play catch out in the back with our kid? Don't please, Mr. Kennedy. Al Cody, played by Adam Driver, is involved here. He's just doing the stupid sound effects with weird voices uh, yeah, and it's shit. Bizarre. In order to get the money right away for to pay for the abortion, he foregoes any potential royalties by doing it the right way and just gets paid as like a a session musician or something like a straight fee. Yeah, two hundred bucks. So <laughs> he takes great. the two hundred. Yeah. Well, he doesn't. Th he thinks the song is garbage. Like he doesn't even. Th yeah. Great. <laughs> well, plus, I mean, it's like, how much money do you think he's walking around with? Nothing. He doesn't have any money. Yeah. So he's got to get this 200 to pay for this abortion. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Although, you know, he didn't get the money directly from Jim, but he did get it for a song that Jim wrote. So. Yeah. There's a little irony there. Yeah. Al Cody's going to provide the next couch for Lewin to sleep on, and he goes and gets his mother's car. Al does, and then he says this car's going to Chicago, which it's, at first... Lewin doesn't really seem interested in, but obviously we'll circle back to yeah. it. Goes back to see Jean again. They go to the Reggio, which is like a little coffee shop near her place because she doesn't want to let him in. Yeah, it is Talking like, about the appointment. What is Jim doing all the time? Yeah, I know. Well, it seems Jean's like he might have like, like a job or something. Okay. I don't know. Wow. What a <laughs> well, how do you think they yeah. can afford an apartment and Lewin can't? That's a good point. Who won the lottery tonight? Huh? Wow. I'm staying at Al Cody's. So, when do you want to do the have the, the abortion? The sooner the better. Okay. 
I'll see when the guy can do it then. The guy? I hope it's a doctor. Yeah, 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 he's a doctor. You got the money? Yes, I have the money, don't worry. With you, I worry. Well, you shouldn't. Yes, I should. God knows you never do. You just let other people at your method of birth control. Oh, please don't start with the double condoms again. Do you ever think about the future at all? <sighs> the future? You mean like flying cars? Hotels on the moon? Tang. And this is why you're fucked? No, it's why you're fucked. You're just trying to blueprint a future. Move to the suburbs with Jim, have kids. That's bad. If that's what music is for you, a way to get to that place, then yeah, it's, it's, it's a little careerist. And it's a little square. And it's a little sad. I'm sad? You're the one who's not getting anywhere. You don't want to get anywhere. Me and Jim try. I, I want to We try. You sleep on the couch. It's a bad thing to throw in my face, man. You know, you don't want to go anywhere. And that's why all the same shit is going to keep happening to you because you want it to. Is that why? Yes. And also because you're an asshole who sleeps with other people's women. Let's not forget that. Well, well you're being pretty kind to yourself now, aren't you? Well, who's catching you on tonight? I told you, Al Cody's. You don't listen. You just spout vitriol. Keep an eye on my shit. Thanks for suggesting this place. Poor thing couldn't have eaten since yesterday. It's a damn house cat. Here you go. You know its name? I can't remember his name. I don't know its name. I don't hang out with the Gorefines. Oh, good kitty, Jesus, thank God. Well, where were we? You were calling me a careerist, and I was calling you a loser. Right, well, those are your categories. Those are your categories. You know, in, uh, in my experience, uh, the world's divided into two kinds of people. Those who divide the world into two kinds of people. And losers. Evidently, Lewin got a girl in the family way a couple of years prior named yeah. Diane. True. So he knows a doctor. Gene's relying on him to set this abortion up. Because like I said, yeah, abortions were illegal. This, this is, is going to be taking place on a Saturday. Right. It's like a whole thing. This isn't like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where you just hop in the car with Judge <laughs> Reinhold. It's still be a, like a whole secret deal. Seriously. <laughs> so he's already been down this road before, and so he's kind of putting it together. But this conversation, of course, gets very like existential about like what their lives are, and basically, Lewin accuses Jean of being careerist because she's mapping out a future for herself and Jim. And at first, you're like, well, Lewin is obviously wrong because... Yeah, does that future involve he you being feels faithful like, to Jim? Yeah, or? he feels like a loser, and he's obviously not making it, and he doesn't even have a place to sleep, so he can't be right. But then you're like, well, maybe he is right, though, because he knows more about Gene than we do. Sure. And yeah. so it's like, he probably feels a little bit like, well, what is this fraud that you're pretending? You know, True. you don't really feel the way that you're acting it like is you strange. feel for him. It's such a weird moment to be introduced to a point in two characters relationship because like obviously like these two shared an intimate night <laughs> something happened like probably more than once right. I'm guessing. And, and, and that just seems like so foreign by the time we see these two interacting. Who knows it's like they could have dated at some point in the past 
Yeah. She could have dated Mike and then to console each other, you know, that kind of a thing. Who knows? Like, I don't really know what the backstory is, how long she's been married to Jim. Who knows? That's a good point. A lot of unknowns. That's what's kind of cool about the story is, like, you're kind of kept off balance by it not necessarily falling into, like, traditional storytelling mode. Like, you're like, okay, I don't quite understand where we're at with these people, which is what's keeping me interested in what they're saying it's more like my memory of most of my relationships i remember like <laughs> just fast forward to the terrible <laughs> stuff right? yeah that's all i can remember from all <laughs> the of yelling them. yeah <laughs> oh god both of them in this moment though in this scene where she's like you're a loser and he's like well he doesn't even use the word phony he's talking about like careerist and he's kind of mocking her idea of the future because he's like what like flying cars <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a great line. Yeah. The truth he is, is a smart ass. No matter what, if she has a happily ever after with Jim or not, or if he ever makes it as a musician or not, like it's almost irrelevant because the truth is in this moment they're both equally sad. And they might be sad for a lot of different reasons, but they come together over the one thing which is hanging over them, which is Mike, obviously. And in a way, even though their failures are different, they're both staring failure in the face. Yeah. You can say what you want about Gene, but like her and Jim sing songs. He's clearly trying to make it too as a musician. He's recording at Columbia. They both kind of had the same dream at one point. That's a good point. And she has this parachute, which is like the suburban life with Jim, Jim. and maybe kids or whatever. And he doesn't really have that. But I mean, he really has nothing. The failure is still the same, though. It's like they're both confronting the fact that whatever they wanted is not going to happen. And so there's a lot of sadness. And of course, then the cat or a a cat runs uh, by reality. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some of us are still trying to accept it. (laughs) Doing a podcast. Yeah, really. Just like a lot of sadness. (laughs) So a cat passes. Lewin thinks it's the gore finds cat. cat. He runs out after it chases it down. Then he goes, this is like a, just a great gut punch twist scene where he goes to to make the abortion appointment Man, with the doctor. This is kind of like a, a new level that you weren't really sure this was going to go to. Sure, and it's not like the most original thing. I feel like I've seen this in other things. Yeah. The idea of like someone not going through with an abortion. I mean, it is funny. <laughs> it's funny how long it takes <laughs> yeah. him to get it. Right. Because as the audience, you get it almost immediately. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> And how, Almost immediately, right. you start and, going and like, really oh, like no. how much uh, he no-sells it, I would say. <laughs> well, what's he going to do? Because yeah. then you're like humiliated because then you know the oh, doctor's yeah. thinking like, wow, she didn't even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she how... thought this guy was so much of a loser. Right. She didn't even want him to know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, he goes to the doctor. He's going to pay him in advance for Gene's appointment. And the doctor's like, well, there's no charge. He's like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, from last time. And he's like, what? It's like, you remember me? This girl, Diane, from two years ago, never went through with it. In fact, asked the doctor for a referral to a doctor in Akron where she was going back home, where she was from originally, because she was going to take the pregnancy to term and have the baby. Okay. So she went back to Akron, had the baby. Lewin had no idea and has been in New York for two years not knowing that this happened. And that he has a living child in the world yeah which she may have given up for adoption i True. mean just because she know. took it to term we don't know that she's raising it but good point. she definitely had it i guess is the idea what After, a thing what's that i said what a thing hell of a thing yeah <laughs> so of course now the specter of mike 
and now this baby is are two things hanging over him in addition to staring failure in the face. <laughs> a lot going on sure. in this week in 1961. Tough, uh, Tough to swallow. Beat. Yeah, right. Lewin takes the cat back to the gore finds. They have several guests over for dinner and insist that he stay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of awkward almost immediately, but it, it gets way worse. <laughs> well, he's... <laughs> To be fair, Lewin, not at his best right now. It would no. I don't know that we've ever seen that, but this is definitely closer to his worst than best. Asked to perform a song after the oh, meal, yeah. Lewin reluctantly plays Fairly Well, a song he had recorded with his old partner, Mike, when Mrs. Gorefine starts to sing Mike's harmony. Oh, boy. Lewin becomes angry and yells at her. She leaves the table crying. Yeah, it's sad. Then returns with the cat because he brought this new cat. That he found outside oh, yeah. the Reggio. Right. Under the guise of, I brought your cat back. Yeah, he thinks it's the right cat. Yeah. She returns with the cat, having realized it is the wrong gender, and thus obviously not theirs. It has a scrotum. No, it doesn't. Oh, she it says, doesn't. She's right. like, where's the scrotum? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she keeps yelling, where's the scrotum? Mm-hmm. Lewin takes this imposter cat and leaves. I would imagine that the news of the child and then this unpleasant scene at the Gorefines, people that obviously... Yeah have done a lot for him and supported him and and been a refuge for him. Given him a roof. Yeah, yeah, to stay, to provide meals for. Now, they're very supportive. I mean, I I will say... You can see his anger. Like, I can get it. Although, I mean, obviously, total overreaction and insane the way he, like, yells at her. Little bit of Jack Nicholson from The Shining here, you know? But, yeah, I mean, even when this eventually gets addressed later, like, we understand that... The whole thing with Mike is just like a sensitive subject that he's not yeah, handling Yeah, he hasn't great. fully uh, come to terms with it, I don't think. But all this shit, the unpleasant scene, the stuff with Gene, and then the news that he has possibly a kid out there, I guess is enough to propel him to take up Al, Al Cody's yeah. offer, which is an interesting thing because when you're seeing the movie and you're not paying like super close attention to what Al is saying, you assume that maybe he's going to Chicago, but... No, just the car is. I'm like, why is this car? It's strange, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it was just a different time. You know, people were making do, I guess. But Roland Turner, who is this jazz musician, is being driven to Chicago by a guy that kind of works Garrett for Garrett Hedlund. Him, Johnny Five. Yeah. A lot and of cool names. They want to split the drive with somebody who can help pay for gas, basically. Yeah, and Lewin, strange. I don't know if Lewin is thinking about Bud Grossman and Gate of Horn. He's got an extra 200 bucks, though. We know that. I don't know if he's thinking about his child in Akron. I don't know what he's thinking about, I think he's but just he like, just decides he's going to do this. I need to get out. Right. So, yeah, we meet Johnny Five, who's nearly mute. He's like a James Dean beat poet type, which doesn't really start to come out till later when he just starts reciting ridiculous right. things. Yeah. Roland Turner is this unpleasant junkie alternating between being a douche and nodding off <laughs> for hours at a time, it seems yeah. like. It's a fun existence. Yeah, him and Lewin kind of have this um, adversarial relationship immediately anytime that Roland is awake. Roland doesn't seem to think that folk music counts as real music. <laughs> right. He's just sort he of gently of uh, dismissive of Lewin. Yeah, he always has these stories, you'll be interested in this. <laughs> Even though no one would ever be interested in any of his stories. And this is where we get the reveal of what happened to Mike. He finally says it, which is Mike threw himself off of the George Washington Bridge, which, of course, Roland immediately mocked. (laughs) 
as being the wrong bridge. <laughs> Which was kind of funny, but like, Jesus Christ. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Solo act? Yeah, now. Now? Used to, what, work with a cat? Every time he'd play a C major, he'd puke a hairball? I used to have a partner. What happened? Threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. Well, I don't blame him. I couldn't take it either, having to play Jimmy Crack Corn every night. Oh, pardon me for saying so. That's pretty stupid, isn't it? George Washington Bridge. You throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge, traditionally. George Washington Bridge. Who does that? Yeah, so, I mean, I mean like, that's really, it's just the... a weird little, like, detour in the movie. I mean, I don't really know how much we can even say about this trip. It's just, like, all of a sudden, we have these new characters introduced, and that's all Lewin is with now for the next, like, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, and it does feel, they, they do a good job of making you feel sort of the drag of this road trip. Doesn't yeah, it? You, yeah, and there's a lot like, more back roads. I mean, they do get oh, on yeah. highways, but there just isn't as much. There know, probably wasn't like, as many highway how systems How long yet. would this have taken? Longer than it would now, even. Absolutely. And I don't know how long the drive is between New York City and Chicago, but I, I would think imagine it's, like it's nine long. hours from Pittsburgh. So, I mean, it's got to be like 13, 14 hours. Yeah. It's unclear if they sleep anywhere on the way there. All of a sudden, though, there are three hours outside Chicago at this roadside restaurant where Roland overdoses in the bathroom, which leads to this whole scene then of Johnny being arrested on the side of the road when they pulled over to sleep. And Johnny's taken away in a cop car, leaving Lewin with... Sort a, of a strange uh, arrest. Yeah. What do you think this is about? Um, I couldn't really the get The look it. of him. I mean, was he that like combative? <laughs> I mean, he's just like it's arrested It's hard to tell what's going on yeah. out there. I mean, probably just like he looks like a hooligan... Yeah, more judgmental for that kind of stuff. At this I will point. say, I love the uh, rest stop that they stop at, though. Yeah, it's just like cool. I figured you, know? you would. Yeah, thank you for noticing. So Lewin's left in the car on the side of the road with Roland, who is I don't know, possibly dying. Yeah, who knows? And the cat, but there's no keys in the car. Yikes! And he doesn't know what to do because who the fuck even knows where they just took this I know. other guy? This is shocking. Lewin grabs his guitar and he abandons the cat. And leaves it with Roland just pulled over on the side of the road. <laughs> no one ever knows what happened to Roland. Yeah, what a time. <laughs> I love the look of these highways at night, though. Like these ghostly I know. winter highways. Because there's not as many lights. Desolate. So there's a lot more like darkness and shadow and just like headlights. Because, you know, there just weren't as many lights along I know. the road. It's very sleepy, too. It, it almost makes you feel like you're just going to fall asleep at the wheel. Well, yeah, it almost feels like this happens later. Yeah. So Lewin hitches to a bus station, gets to Chicago on a bus, goes to the Gate of Horn, waits for yeah. Bud Grossman to come, and auditions for Bud in a scene that made me laugh out loud in the theater, yet I feel like I was the only one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where, this is just uh, this scene, so the, you know, unceremonious. <laughs> we're kind of like breezing through the, the musical performances, but like most of the songs... Well, I don't know. Over half, I would say, are the whole song. Like it's yeah, like a true. whole song, right. a whole performance. They're all very good, including this one. I think he sings like the death of Queen Jane or something like that. Old song sounds great. Yeah, you're like, I don't understand how this is different from. This is it. This is the moment from uh, what's his name, Troy, or any of these. Other he seems people. so much better than Troy, and it certainly seems better than the song he did with Jim and Al. <laughs> oh well, yeah. 
Well, that's uh, like that's almost doesn't count. That's I like know. a novelty thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Grossman, so the, not well, in, right? Yeah. The funny thing is, like, okay, so Lewin just like pours his heart out. You're sitting there in the theater, and you're thinking, like, man, that was like so good. Like, yeah, yeah. you're never sure like how it's gonna go with like Coen Brothers. It, like something weird could happen, or you know, who knows? Like. Josh Brolin comes in and just like shoots Bud Grossman <laughs> in the face, and, and you're like, I don't know where this is right, headed, right. like yeah. anything. So you're like, he could fuck up, or his guitar string could break, or who knows? Like, it could turn into like this weird scene where he's smashing his guitar angrily because his something broke or something. It's Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men with that fucking yeah. cattle thing. <laughs> he plays the song. It's really good. It seems just as good, if not better, than anything else we've heard from anyone. And then there's a pause, and Bud Grossman says, I don't see a lot of money here. And I just was, like, laughing in the theater. So and I was like, I don't think band. anyone I else know. laughed. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, really Jesus Christ. That's like the last – I mean, it's just like we talk about gut punch all the time. I mean, this is just like a straight-up punch in the face. It's just like a punch in the nose. Yeah, because he's talking about how Troy, who we met briefly, he connects with people, and – the idea, I guess, is that they just don't feel oh, like you know, Lewin Troy. is connecting he's with people. He's a good kid. Yeah. He repeats it, too. He's right. like, he's he's a good kid. Yeah. He's a good kid. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. There's just something that Lewin is not doing. I don't really know how... I guess, like, the Coen brothers, not to speak for them, because I have no idea what they were thinking, but it almost is like they couldn't really figure out how to convey that, Like, so they just kind of left that up to the audience to figure it out to sure because like, like how do you convey that he's really talented and good but he's just unable to connect with audiences the same way other people are other than to just show them playing in front of people and the other people seem to like really be into it and then he plays and people were like yeah politely applauding because he was good but there's not like his, the same enthusiasm right i guess i don't know it's, it's hard know. to figure I, out it's weird because you're partial to lewin davis because he's for better or worse the hero of our story yeah. And but like there is a, it feels like he's better than everyone else that we've watched in the movie. Yeah, he might be too good. <laughs> now, this is a weird turn though because it's like you basically think, "Okay, well this is over," but then Grossman is just like, "But I have something for you." Yeah, he offers him uh, a part in a trio that he's putting together, although that felt like vaguely racist. I mean, I'm, you know, not that Okay. Lewin is like African American or anything, but you know, he's like a darker complexion. Okay. I'm not sure what his I think he's like, I don't even want to speculate, but please, you know, whatever Oscar Isaac is in real life. And then he's Bud Grossman's like, we'll stay out of the sun. Basically, like, yeah, get paler. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that's basically what he says. And he's like going to put him with a girl and another guy. And he doesn't want to do that. And then he's like, well, I used to be in a duo. He's like, we should go back to that. He's (laughs) like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like he's saying, like, we need somebody to, like, soften your edges to make it more palatable to the audience because there's like you're just too something intense right i don't know like something is there yeah, yeah you seem like you've had a rough go of it yeah it could speak to what we were talking about like how his perception of the folk movement in greenwich village at this time is cold and gray and mean and harsh and yet so many people who live through it look back on it completely differently than this and it's like well Maybe that is translating into how he's being perceived by Bud Grossman or potential audiences well, or true. whoever. Yeah. They're just getting that cold vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so he hitches back to New York City with this guy who wants to basically sleep so that Lewin can drive him. And he's heading back to New Jersey or something like that. 
it's kind of funny how like that guy in the passenger seat is just so out that like, I know. even when he slaps on the brakes. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, there's certainly been times in my life where it's just like you're just so tired and you're just like were, are, would, were you ever tired enough to pick up a stranger off the side of the road and then be like i'm gonna let him drive and i'm gonna sleep i think there's been times where i've been desperate for things <laughs> certainly you're like blowing guys to, <laughs> so that they, they'll drive you somewhere yeah so i mean it's just like i love that guy though he's just like okay can you drive here <laughs> we'll go all the way to new york just let me sleep in the back on the way back, Lewin's driving. This guy's sleeping. They pass Akron. He's kind of almost haunted it's by all the like lights of the city. lit up, too. Yeah. I mean, it's glorified in a way that you can't ever imagine Akron, Ohio being glorified. <laughs> yeah. When has Akron ever looked like this? <laughs> yeah. It was Akron's Listen, light up a night. night. There. It, it was not looking this bright to me while I was there. <laughs> he has the opportunity to pull off the highway, of course. He doesn't, and we know as an audience that he never will, that this is just too far outside of... His, his world life like yeah. it's just it goes back to what i was talking about at the beginning everything in its right place everything needs to fall back in line in order nothing is going to change he can't change it and of course he's although speeding it's like down he'd probably be the best folk singer in akron wouldn't that be enough <laughs> i don't know i don't really know how well that I, would go listen, over it ain't greenwich village okay we know that but <laughs> he's racing along the snowy highway it's kind of daunting looking even and all of a sudden a cat runs across the road and he hits it oh brutal slams on the brakes the guy doesn't wake up (laughs) pulls over to the side of the road and he sees the cat limping into the woods yeah the cat is lewin lewin is the cat okay (laughs) lewin came from this traumatic experience now where he has had his dreams shattered by bud grossman and now he's hit the cat which was the imposter cat so it's almost like this chicago journey is not the real Lewin. It's like he's got to get back to New York where okay. he belongs and fit back into the wheel. Coming back from Chicago, his dreams have been shattered. He decides that maybe his sister was right. He should yeah. re-up with I the Merchant Marines. There's something there. I think it's time to get yourself back in the workforce. So he goes to see them about getting uh, put onto a ship. Tur- turns out he owes money to get current on his union dues. <laughs> It takes almost all of what he has left. It's like $148 or something. He pays that, and yeah. then he's like, all right. And they're like, well, do you have your Siemens papers? He's like, yes. He's like, okay, so he's going to get all that stuff, his, like Siemens license, all that, whatever, come back and get on a thing, and basically give up the life of trying to be a folk singer. Yeah. So then in what is just a truly defeating, depressing scene, he goes to see his father, who is at like a- Really? This is sad. I don't even know what you would call this place. It's like a senior living home. Yeah, but I mean, just like just a, the lowest. Not level. a great one. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a dormitory where they just house these people. <laughs> Wait and to like, die. It does. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really seem like there's a lot of care not, or effort put into this. Not a lot of like bingo nights going on. His father doesn't speak at all. I don't know what's going on with him. It's such a weird scene because we have no context. We don't really know what the situation is with his dad. Or his mom, or what happened, yeah. or or what's going on with him. Clearly, his mother doesn't seem to be alive that we know of, and we his don't really know. His dad is mostly non-functional. Yeah, I guess he's just sitting yeah. there. He doesn't speak, and Lewin he plays. He doesn't react. Well, actually, he reacts at some point. <laughs> Not the reaction Lewin was looking for. Lewin plays him a song, a song that he had recorded when he was like a kid. 
okay. for his yeah, parents. Right. It's that same song from the record, remember, when his yep. sister has that box of stuff. I think it's like the Shoals of Herring or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The names of the songs, not great. You think his father is having an emotional reaction because he turns and he looks out the window and he doesn't say anything, but you're kind of like, all right, well, this he, he seems to like be reacting to oh, the song no. or something because yeah. it's kind of an emotional moment with his Turns son. Turns out. His son is told him that he's shipping out and he's not going to see him for a while. You possibly think like, well, maybe he's saying goodbye for the last time. He thinks maybe his dad will be dead by the time he gets back. Something it like feels that. like a possibility. All of this is building up and then you're like, but no, it turns out that Lewin's father has basically shit himself in the chair yeah. and said nothing during the whole time. I don't know if he can speak. I guess maybe It really is just like a, a dark time in life. This is not inspiring if you're Lewin. <laughs> yeah, because now he realizes that this is what he can look forward to in his mind if oh he goes down this road yeah. with the Merchant Marines, which is what he's going to do. Because you can look at the Chicago trip and look at the two people he rode with as like also like road signs of potential futures of things he doesn't want to be. Life not working out. He doesn't want to be the pompous asshole musician that's like kind of barely scraping by and kind of this odious nuisance on the world. Yeah, yeah. Just being like an asshole, which is like... I think he knows that he's kind of an asshole and he's kind of like afraid that he could turn into something like this. And he doesn't want to turn into Johnny Five either, which is just this guy who <laughs> yeah. is resigned to a life of being a lapdog for an asshole guy. Right. It's like they don't even have enough money to go their own way to Chicago. They have to like enlist another guy who is Lewin to help pay for gas. <laughs> yeah. So it's not even like him being this valet for Rolton Turner's some kind of life. So when we meet Lewin's father it's like a third terrible option presenting itself it's like all of these are like kind of ghosts of folk music's future (laughs) people are just like why is it that you guys love dark cynical movies so much it's because they're telling the truth yeah we see a lot of ourselves yeah (laughs) afterwards Lewin goes back to his sisters to retrieve his seaman's license so he can ship out with the merchant marines but his sister threw it out because it was in that box, which Lewin told her to throw out. So then <laughs> just, he goes back down. Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. And then he's like, all right, I'm at least going to go get my money back. Yeah, he goes back to to see about getting a new one. It's $85 to replace it. He doesn't have that money. Then he tries to get his money back for the union dues, which he, they won't give him back because it's money he owned his union. So he basically paid $148 to not be able to work on a ship to get paid. He's completely out of money again. Nowhere so to he go. failed at failing, yeah. which is the funny irony here. He's tried to fail out of the music industry, quote unquote, and he can't even do it. He's basically just stuck in the same place. It's the circular idea that I've been talking about the whole time. He has to end up back where he was, which is where he's going to go. He just doesn't realize it yet. My favorite scene of the movie is basically right before the $85 scene. I just wanted to close the loop on Merchant okay. Marines because I don't really want to talk about that. Yeah, anymore. there's not It's like my least say. favorite part of the it's, movie. It almost feels like a detour, but it's like, oh, it's somewhat It's all to set too. up the idea yeah. that he just can't even fail at failing. Right, yes. And I just wanted to close that so that I could get to my favorite scene, which is when he tells Gene that he's out and that he's done. And he's coming back to get his stuff, which he had left at Gene and Jim's apartment after his trip to Chicago. And at first he thinks that he's been gone so long that he asks her about the abortion, which she has not had yet because it hasn't been Saturday. <laughs> like and it, she's just like, it. what? Yeah, yeah. 
And he's like, well, I, it, all right, I was gone. It felt like it was a long time. I guess it was just a couple of days. And she's right, like, right. well, then she kind of gets more sympathetic, and she's like, well, where did you go? And he says Chicago, and then she's asking him about it. And you can kind of see a window into a time where they didn't just hate each other. Yeah, yeah. She tells him that she got him a gig at the Gaslight. So you're like, huh. Okay, so it's she's- It's kind of weird that she would do that. Right. And when he tells her that he's out and he's done, she's like very- saddened by this and like not doesn't really want to accept it and it's so funny because it's like i think that the sadness springs from the idea that there's comfort in knowing that there are lewin davises in the world and that she knows this lewin davis and that he's still trying and that no matter how low her folk career has gotten (laughs) no there's always to make herself feel better about herself it's that she knows how much it means to him and it's like if she has to give up, she still wants. She, she, there's comfort in knowing that there's still somebody carrying the banner out there. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a noble pursuit in knowing that you're not going to make anything of it really big, but you're still trying because you love it so much. Yeah. And to hear that he it doesn't love it anymore yeah. hurts. And she's like, "Well, I'm gonna be moving to the suburbs with someone that'll probably end up." You know, it'll be like a Betty Don Draper thing. We'll be divorced in (laughs) like five years with two kids. And I just wish that my friend, that this person that I was close to, wasn't giving up like me because that means that there's just no hope. Yeah, and I feel like there's (laughs) an even added level with like Mike being out of the picture. It's just like this whole, I think at one point, what felt like this little community is just all like falling apart. Sure. And... God only knows what she had to do to get him this gig at the gas well, station, which is a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really know what's going on there. It feels like there. Poppy has hints at something. Yeah, it's like, you know, we'll get to that in a minute, but it is one of those things where you're not really quite sure what the Coen brothers are intending. It's like, well, when Gene fucks Poppy, was it for just to get this gig for Lewin? Or was there something else going on? Or who knows? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just wanted to point that scene out, highlight it in particular. The scene ends with Lewin telling her that he loves her, and it cuts to him being back at the Merchant Marines place to do the $85 scene before there's any response really from her. True, yeah. So we don't really know how they, that Yeah, went. right. And it's but the fact that he's saying like that he weird. loves her based on what we've seen. I know. It, it's like it's so weird to even hear those words come out of his mouth, you know, <laughs> like about anyone. Really. <laughs> but he's almost like annoyed that he is. He's just like, yeah. I love you. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> right. Well, it's just funny because it, it speaks to that whole thing. Like the same way that that note saying that she's pregnant gave us that whole backstory just in two seconds. Where we're like, okay. We get that there's so much going on here. This little moment, based on what we've seen, doesn't necessarily jive with her screaming in, at him and, and calling him shit over and over. It, again, implies a whole rich history between the two characters that we just don't really know the full extent of. Yeah. Clearly, there were happier times at I think some so. point. Yeah. Maybe pre-Jim, maybe during Jim. If knows? there weren't happier times, you're just like, how is this guy even alive? At this point, still, I mean, come on. Some of us just can't get up to that bridge, like Mike. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Mike really is a hero. So later that night, after he realizes he's not going to join the Merchant Marines, he goes to the gaslight, and he's talking to Poppy. Poppy talks about how he's thinking about switching out of folk because it's not really paying the bills. It's yeah. like some people draw a big house like Jim and Gene because a lot of the guys come because they want to fuck Gene. 
He's like, some guys come because they want to fuck Jim, which he finds to be hilarious <laughs> and just repeats it over and over. And then he's like, what? Well, me, though, I only fuck Gene. And Lewin's just like, what? And he's like, well, I only fuck Gene or whatever, you know? Yeah. Want to play the gaslight. And, of course, this sets Lewin off and just he can't handle this oh, for I know. any number of reasons. And he drunkenly heckles the woman who's just taking the yeah, stage. Uh, it's brutal. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to watch. Oh, the I Poppy, mean, loving it, really, for a while. I mean, they eventually have to kick Lewin out, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is really uh, he's, eating it all up. I know. I mean, how bored is he of these, this stupid folk bullshit? Yeah, well, it's like, how it's much, be, right. I think like three nights sitting in that place, I'd want to kill everyone. I'd be like, this is horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't fucking believe the rent here. This folk shit, I don't know. Jim and Gene, we got a good crowd. You know why, Lou? A lot of these guys, a lot of them come in here and catch the act because they want to fuck Gene. That's why they come in. And some of them, some of these guys, Lou, they come in here because they want to fuck Jim. <laughs> they want to fuck Jim. Know what I mean? You mean they want to fuck Jim? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, me, I've only fucked Gene. from Tennessee making her first appearance on a stage in New York is heckled. He's, you know, Lewin's yelling, show us your panties and all oh, this stuff. Oh, no. Really yeah, it really is just rough. And he's thrown out of there after making that scene. So with nowhere to go and nowhere to spend the night, he calls up the court finds oh, no. yeah. where he had previously left in yeah. disgrace. <laughs> and the funny thing is, all is forgiven when he arrives. And this is really this the is moment where you realize friends. that everything yeah. has to just fit back how it was. Yeah. You think that everything is turned on its head with him leaving the Gorefines like he did, you know, yelling and swearing and making a scene and bringing the wrong cat and everything. 
And yet when he shows up, he's being invited in in the same way. The wife is again making a ethnic dish. Oh, yeah. Some sort of food. And there's guests there from academia, like so fellow professors. So this is just, um, you know, uh, Lewin's little pocket. This is his slice of life that he fits into. Yeah, and they're like, you know, hey, we're all sad about all Mike, and we yeah. express it in different ways. And Mrs. Gorfine hugs him and apologizes to him, and he's like, what are you doing? I know. And the we're cat is back, that. we find out. And the cat's name is Ulysses. Okay. So the cat is back in the right place. Lewin is back in the right place. Everything's fit. This is where we find out that the novelty song he recorded might end up being a big hit with a lot of <laughs> oh royalties. Yeah. And he's just like, you One know what? More just kicking the nuts. <laughs> they know that he recorded on it, but I don't think anyone realizes that he's not going to get royalties well, yeah. except for him. Not even right. Jim, probably, because I think Jim was the one that was telling those other people about the song, and that's how they knew Lewin was on it. And so they're thinking, like, oh, you're going to make all this money from this. And he's like, what? <laughs> Finally, we get an expanded version of the film's opening scene. Yeah. Poppy's like, your friend is out there. Oh, yeah, right. We got to have the song. Well, first he plays that Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me song. Yeah, yeah. But then he plays the Fare Thee Well song. Because they cut him playing that in the beginning. Because he plays Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me, and then he walks over to Poppy. And he's like, you and Mikey used to play that song. But we didn't know that this was the the song, which then we see him play the second time. Yeah, yeah. And then he's, like, apologizing about last night. Poppy's just like, who cares? Forget about it. (laughs) And I love this. The first time I saw this, I was just like, oh, yeah, this makes so much sense. You're not even thinking it's going to happen. And then when it happens, you're just like, oh, yeah, this makes so much sense that this is happening. This is, like, the perfect ending. It's like sometimes you just have those movies that have perfect endings. And you're just like. You know, like the social network, <laughs> just requesting Rooney well, Mara to be your friend over and over. And you're like, yeah, this is such yeah. a great ending to this movie. And you're like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Exactly what all of this was, was like they're all living on this edge where they don't know that they're it's about to be pushed off the cliff into something completely different. Where like, oh, maybe it would be a lot cooler if we wrote our own songs and we wrote about things that were happening right now and things that mattered. Yeah, well, it is one of those weird things, too, where it's like, you're not expecting there to be, like, a known person from history appear all of a sudden. It's all fictional characters. Essentially, yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, someone that you know from history, (laughs) an important fixture in the music industry, I would say. (laughs) So... In pop culture in general. As Lewin is about to go outside to meet his fate... Not his death, but he'd meet this husband of the woman he heckled the night before who will beat him up in the alley. We didn't see this the first time in the opening scene, but a young Bob Dylan is coming up onto the stage to play the song Farewell. Yeah, is there some weird juxtaposition of the fare thee well versus farewell? I don't Possibly, know they're, they're and also like a, a farewell to <laughs> yes, see, <yeah. laughs> this idea of the people like Lewin Davis or Dave Van Ronk or people that were in that folk scene doing traditional folk songs like this whole genre was basically just like kicked to the curb because people were like all right well maybe we don't need to sing songs that are like a hundred years old it's like who cares about this let's write a song about what's going on right now in our own lives or whatever and Elvis is referenced earlier in the movie that we mentioned but Bob Dylan just as much as like the Beatles or the Stones or whoever, you know, ends up shaping popular music in the next decade at this point. 
is Bob Dylan's like right up there. And it's like, yeah, maybe not like rock and roll, but the way that lyrics are written, the way the oh, songs yeah. are constructed. And just way like, too what, many lyrics, I would say. What are they about? You know, and just completely changing everything in pop yeah. music. The comfort you can take is that it's not just Lewin that's going to be fucked. It's, of course, it's Troy and it's Jim and Gene. It's oh, everybody. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily Bud Grossman, because as I said, the real life version of that person managed Bob Dylan. Yeah. But like a lot of these people are all, and Mel probably, I mean, Mel probably reps a bunch of shitty acts like Lewin. It like, is weird. They're all being pushed over the side of a cliff. It's like, it's your time is over. This, this whole, is yeah, now. like time period in life is just like, I don't know. I guess everyone just like moves on and like becomes different things. I don't know what like Lewin's going to do. Well, he's, yeah, I mean, you know, he can maybe survive a little longer on the kindness of people like the gore finds like the older people who aren't gonna yeah. necessarily flock to the new music like the kids but the the younger people are gonna get rid of that immediately they're like see ya. it clicks over to something else and then it's done and it's all happening in a flash and it's just so funny that he's witnessing it for a second as he's going out and to get punched his, in the like face ass kicked, yeah <laughs> yeah it's like that beat down in the alley is like the physical embodiment of what's happening on the stage inside right. it's like okay well your kind of music is real it's already kind of fading like people aren't that interested in hearing him anymore if they ever were yeah and now it's like yeah forget it and it's going to be the thing obviously that saves the gaslight for a while and, yeah, and rejuvenates mean, the whole, you know, whole scene mel is just taking that like box of inside lewin davis <laughs> albums <laughs> and just like throwing it in the dumpster <laughs> That should have been the last scene after uh, yeah, right. Lewin says au revoir to the guy driving away in the taxi That's right. to beat him up. <laughs> but yeah, and then Bob Dylan plays over the closing credits. It's such a it's a fantastic ending. Yeah. I love it. Really is just a great movie. Absolutely uh one of my favorites of the past decade. I think it's gonna endure because the movie is that good. Yeah. Just a movie I can uh connect with the vibe of as well yeah i mean if you've ever picked up a guitar and tried to play it in front of people there's a certain part of you that, that's going to relate to some of this stuff even if you're nowhere near as good as oh, Lou sure. and Davis, yeah. like you're just kind of like i get it like i get there's that idea of like if you write your own songs too you're like well you have a certain amount of authenticity a certain amount of integrity and anything that questions that or or is less than that you are up in arms about it. it's like in seventh grade when you think you have the right to call a band a sellout because they went to a major label <laughs> right. you know how like people used to be, do and it's just like you know now everybody sells every song they can to a commercial and mindy kaling's making a joke about bob dylan being in a super bowl commercial <laughs> yeah. but you respect people like lewin davis even if they're unbearable sometimes you're like he has all this integrity even if he's not a songwriter like Bob Dylan or something. Yeah, you know? and there's something you got to give people credit when they're just so pretentious, even though they have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, in a way, you can be jealous of Lewin Davis while comfortably not having to live that life. Oh, abs- <laughs> You're like, Absolutely. yeah, well, I yeah. get to at least sleep in a bed and not worry about where I'm going to be, but at the same time, be like, well, he's out there doing it. And I think like that's kind of what gene is experiencing in that moment when she's confronted with the fact that lewin wants to give it up yeah it's like well i I take comfort in knowing that he's out there kind of like how sam elliott takes comfort in knowing that the dude is out there at the end of big (laughs) lebowski yeah there's some crossover what are you doing what what vincent stopped making picks well how am i gonna know what movies to see 
We have a wide variety of gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. What are the recommendations? I have two. You can go first. <laughs> okay. With one. Actually, apropos of the Coen brothers, uh, I watched it, I don't know, back around the time that it came out, but then also just a couple weeks ago, streaming on Amazon Prime right now, documentary, actually, Milius, about the filmmaker John Milius. If you're a film nerd, I especially enjoy the time period of Spielberg and Lucas and all these guys coming up together, Francis Ford Coppola and helping each other with their movies and stuff. And he was certainly like part of that crew while certainly didn't enjoy, I don't think as much fame as yes. the rest of them, but it's a really cool documentary. They got like a lot of people to do interviews for it. And basically the Walter character from big Lebowski is based on <laughs> John Millis. I guess they've never come out and said that like, it's not like acknowledged, but he's just like so much like what right. John Millis was like. It's like one of the better documentaries I've ever watched just about people involved in the film industry i really enjoy it like i said i i am interested in this time period also like the documentary on de palma kind of touched on some of the stuff too because he was kind of on the fringe of those guys but i love it and i would definitely recommend it. i think it's enjoyable it's kind of like sad at the end because he has like a stroke and like can't talk anymore or anything but you know i think in current day he's actually sort of recovered from that and is in like a better place but oh, i didn't even know he was alive so. yeah yeah he is still actually at least last i knew but uh, <laughs> but i i would recommend it i really enjoy it i know documentaries aren't for everyone but that's my recommendation this week yeah we talked about him when we did jaws back in the day yeah and they talk about that part in the documentary as okay well. so my first is season two of the end of the fucking world on netflix we did season one on this podcast my quick review Season two is not as good as season one. Okay. They introduced like a new character. It's kind of a convoluted way into it. I guess they didn't really know exactly how to do it because it was just based off of one little graphic novel. Then it's like they're going to come up with the whole season two. Ultimately, though, I found myself enjoying it and I'm glad I watched it. And if you enjoy um, season one, then I would say check it out. Is Yara Greyjoy back in the mix? No, she's not in it. Not in it at all. Okay. She seemed like such a pivotal character in season one (laughs) yeah well they spend a lot of time on this new character especially at the beginning okay and then my other recommendation is one of the best films of the year parasite oh yeah which Which we we saw saw together together. yeah it's in theaters now it is in korean which i know (laughs) can be a hindrance for some people i don't think it would bother most though because the movie is so original it's definitely cool 100% go into it without knowing what it's about. It's wild, I would say. Yeah, you think you know at a certain point, and then it takes a twist that you're just like, what? I know. And then it leads to a whole second half of the movie that you're blown away by. And of course, the movie is ultimately about uh, the wealth disparity and about capitalism in general. It's interesting that Bong Joon-ho, who did that movie that came out a couple years ago that was uh, pretty popular, that Aksha Okay. Which was like oh, a Netflix wow. thing. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't, so, this is the same director as that. Yeah. He did know. like Snowpiercer. Oh, okay. Yep. He's had like a couple of popular movies. He's catching on big time. He's like kind of one of the better filmmakers out there. It's interesting, though, that he wrote the movie to be about what he thought was like a Korean issue with their economy. And with oh, wow. That, with it, but like it's just universal. Applicable. Yeah. Like the haves all, and the have nots yeah, and like right. the struggling and all that stuff. And, I don't want to give away too much more, though, because it's better just to not know anything. That's true, yeah. I went in, no, never seen a trailer or anything, so all I knew was, like, 
this is some Korean movie and it's like 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Yeah, it's definitely going to be in contention in my end of the year top 10, I think. And Okay. I, you know, it's probably a shoe in to win Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. I mean, there's an outside chance it would actually get nominated for Best Picture. The fact that it's not in English, I mean, I don't really think it would win. It's really catching on to that point. It's made like a decent amount of money even in America. Not like insane, but for a foreign movie. Okay. It's doing pretty well. And like you said, the critical response has been huge. So those are my two recommendations. That's in theaters now. I would... If you have the chance to see it, I would hurry up, though, because by the time we post this and everything, I mean, I don't know how much longer it's going to be anywhere. But, it, you know, it'll make the rounds. I'm sure it'll end up on Netflix or somewhere and whatever. But All right, so that's it. Thank you for listening. Thanks for coming back after the break. And you we'll know, see you next stay time. tuned for a, maybe a special Thanksgiving treat. Oh, okay. If I had wings, I'd know it's I'd fly the river to the one I love Oh, fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well Well, I had a man, strong and tall He moved his body like a cannonball Oh, fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well I remember one evening in the pouring rain In my heart was an aching pain movie Chris Farley ever did was Dirty Work so oh. I'm in the movie with and after right after Dirty Work right before he passed away uh, he hosted Saturday Night Live so Norm was still doing weekend updates so Norm called me up and said listen Farley's out of control with coke come to the party after the show because you got to help me watch him like that's how bad he was I you was watching you had to help watch <laughs> I had to help watch him okay so 
this, this is how fast Norm is, though. This is a testament to Norm's wit. So, <laughs> so I'm at the party, and Norm is talking to somebody, and I, I'm watching Chris. I'm on coke. I'm coked up. So, so, so <laughs> I see Farley disappear into a bathroom with Andy Dick. Oh, boy. Okay, him and Andy go into a bathroom. Yeah. They come out five minutes later, like giggling. Norm comes over to me and goes, what's going on with Chris? I go, bad news, bro. He goes, what? I go, he went into a bathroom with Andy Dick. I said, there's only two reasons a man goes into a bathroom with Andy Dick. And neither one of them's good. <laughs> and Norm looked at me without missing a beat and said, holy fuck, I hope he's high. 